You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 616, what upset George Harrison's mum, the gig goer's dress code, the cancellation of Graham Linehan and farewell to Michael Parkinson. That's all coming up after the coral and in the morning. Shut the bedroom window in the morning, go to the shop, make plans to think of as new bands and here's one of them mm. and then i realized they were formed in 1996 27 <laughs> years ago a new band i was um, gonna say i listened to them at university which was indeed. 20 years ago so i'm not yes. sure we can call them new i'm afraid to say afraid not. no this is one of their most successful singles uh, number six in the uk in 2005 the coral and in the morning Mm, I really like that. I love the Coral anyway. And they had a very good return to form with their Coral Island album a couple of years ago, which was lovely. Um, Yeah, one of those very underrated bands. Like you say, I think people still think of us as a new band. They've been plugging away, releasing excellent albums for some years. I've got a best of theirs, which is probably getting on for 10 years old now. And it's really good. It's got got some sort of unusual stuff, sort of B-sides, A-sides, all that kind of stuff on it, as well as the the hits fair. And, you know, I think they're a really solid excellent band and um bill Ryder jones who i don't think is in them anymore has done some great solo stuff as well so they're very underappreciated yes. welcome to parish council episode 616 i'm terence stackham and 
although football's not coming home, always welcome in our homes and in our hearts. <laughs> it's Juliet Harris. And that was Thought for the Day from Sir Terence Dacker. Thank you very much. I oh, that's very kind of you to say. I'm sorry that the Lionesses did not bring it home. Having said that though, they had a they had a they overperformed at this tournament, I think, given yes. the sort of the slight flatness in form and the absence that they have coming in. It's a testament to their spirit and to Serena Wiegman's management that they managed to get as far as they did, I think. So it was a, they, they, they did as proud as the tabloids are so quick to tell us today. And uh, just, you know, what can I say? Just we Mary Earps with the excellent <laughs> save and uh, and uh, authentic reaction, shall we say? No, yes, it, was a, it was an outburst, yeah. wasn't it? It was. Uh, it was, it was yeah. an expression of her yeah. authentic self, and we enjoy that. Yes. Uh, the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, it's bobbling along, as it always does. Um, yes. Irrelevant to 99% of the population and gathering publicity way beyond its potential reach. But just how funny are the comedians who turn up on the various stages? Jules, I'm going to try out on you mm. the top five one-liner jokes, according to the BBC, from this year's Fringe Festival at Edinburgh. And let's see how hilarious you find these. Yes, I'm ready to have my side split. Be ready. Have the medics on standby. The UK is so small, they have to keep all their lakes in one district. Mm, that's that's not what well it's it's factually true, yes. Yeah. That's Liz Guterbeck. What does Kylie sing while counting sheep? I can't get you out of my head. Oh dear, these are not these are not vintage, Sati. I must say, I'm not blaming you for that. I know you're just Thank the messenger. You. Thank you. I'm, I'm trying to give my best delivery. Um, getting mythology wrong is my Hercules ankle. <laughs> no, I do quite like that actually. That's extremely good. I, I thought I, that's, that was the best. That's the best the so far. Yeah. That's from Olaf Falafel. Falafel. I have a sun tanning addiction, so only go on holiday in winter now. I went cold turkey last year. Oh no! I mean, that's a groaner. That is a, yeah, that, that's, that's a, a reason, pun, isn't yeah, it? Really, it is. isn't it? Last year I had a great joke about inflation, but it's hardly worth it now. Oh, very good. I mean, that's not bad either. These aren't brilliant, but they're not. Th- the third one and the fifth one are. are mm. We'll keep those, I think. I think it's thin gruel indeed. Yes, I really, think so. Yeah. yeah. Well, once uh, we do our show, Seti, that's that will really knock their we'll, socks we'll, off. I think. Well, yes, we'll we'll take Edinburgh apart with it. And we do. We'll take it by storm. By storm. Next, next Manhattan. <laughs> George Harrison's mum. She's upset. Oh dear, I'm um, sorry to hear that. What about? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, at least she was in 1964. Um, just I was going to think... say, do we know she still is? Or <laughs> I'm wondering if we if we need an update on this. This story uh, feels a little out of date, anyway. She, she's long gone. Ah, um, uh, R.I.P. Just yes, well, she's quite. Um, she was uh, born in 1911, so oh, she was 31 when she had George. But of course, was already well into her 50s when Beatlemania. Uh, well, of course, and and you up. forget how much time has elapsed, don't you? Well, because my quite. my dad is 82 and is two years older than George Harrison would have been. Yeah, so so it's pretty ridiculous, yeah. isn't it? Yes, yeah, so, so, but you know, saying well, there's nothing new to learn about the Beatles, we think. And then here comes mm. Janet Grey, a teenager in 1964, and Janet struck up this most 
unusual correspondence <laughs> with Louise Harrison, um, George's mother. And uh, this series so of... My dad used to write to my university housemate when I was at university for no other reason than he used to write to me. And I once commented to him that she was sad that her dad didn't write to her. So he wrote to her instead. And uh, I described it as sort of a prison style correspondence (laughs) at the time. People might have thought that my dad had ulterior motives. He didn't. He was just trying to do a kind thing. So maybe maybe George Harrison's dad. And uh, dad, my dad and George Harrison share a birthday, by the way. So maybe George Harrison's mum and yeah. and this and this fan. It's maybe it's people born on the twenty fifth of February end up striking up correspondence with associates of their kids. I don't know. This series of letters between Janet Gray and Louise Harrison's being auctioned this week in Liverpool. Um, Louise Louise Harrison seemed to really enjoy getting letters about George, and it, it is, mm. it's always been known that she wrote thousands of letters that's, that's in reply. Really Really lovely, actually. Can Isn't I just it? say yeah. that's so nice uh, and, and a good way of expressing her pride, I think. I and think doing that's something a lot to that do George, with it. Yeah. George might not have been in a position to do. So that is genuinely really, I'm really touched by lovely. that. That is lovely. Yeah. I mean, to give an idea, in one letter to uh, Janet mm. Gray, Lewis Harrison says, I have about 90 letters not opened yet and hundreds open awaiting replies. Yet she somehow, she must have just sat at a table all day. Um, just wow. Uh, replying to that's so lovely that's so lovely good for her you know what upset louise well Mm. she told janet gray uh in 1964 last wednesday i went to manchester and i was really disgusted at the way the so-called fans just screamed right through the whole of the beatles act so-called fans jewels oh she wasn't impressed no, she wasn't. I can understand why, actually. Um, yeah, I, I would find it strange. I've never screamed at people during a gig. No. Um, my friend once melted down in the presence of Letitia Sadio, which was very amusing. But um, but no, I'd, I've never I've never mm. felt the need to do that. I also rather like so. So I had a look into this after you mentioned it to me. Mm. I also like the fact it wasn't just Louise that was at this. Um, Louise and George's father for Beatles story. Louise and George's father Harold. Um, would invite fans into their home and love chatting to fans about their son's success, which I think is is really Amazing. lovely. Actually, I think that is so that is so sweet. Um, and also I like the fact that she also gave gave the Janet Gray some advice regarding her home life. She wrote, "I hope you will try to remember that your mum is your best friend, even if you don't see eye to eye on some issues." Thank God I get on fine with all my four children and they with each other. What I mean, I think this this woman really is the unsung Amazing. hero, isn't she? Mm. Why did the mirror not get her to be an agony aunt? That's what I think. Yeah. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, do you about the screaming? I have a cousin who's well, 10 years mm. or more older than me. And she told me she went to see the Beatles at Hammersmith Odeon mm. in the mid-60s and that she found the screaming so loud that she wasn't actually sure which song they were playing at any point. Oh, well, that's point. ridiculous, isn't so, it? So, yeah, really? that's why I'm that with was, Louise that's... Harrison as well. Enough of the I think script. I am too. And and hooray for Louise Harrison and her kindness for uh, to, for writing to fans. I'm sure she she made a lot of a lot of fans' lives slightly happier than they would have been, I suspect, from doing that. So good for her. Coming next, mm. the gig goers dress code. Oh, excellent. I'm looking forward to getting some tips. And the cancellation of Graham Linehan. That's right after Kylie. You look like fun to me. You look a little like somebody I know. And I can tell you how this ends. I'll be in your head all weekend. Shivers and butterflies. 
Now, I do like it when uh, when stage has managed to mount a bit of a comeback. I've been long a fan of Kylie Minogue, and she's released some excellent records over the last few years, none of which have really sort of cut through, to use the trendy young phrase. This, however, is taken from her upcoming 16th studio album, Tension, 16 albums, that he, um, released in May this year, the lead single from that album, um, her for her top 10 she's now achieved a top 10 single in five consecutive decades from the 1980s to the 2020s in ireland and the uk um it's been a, a huge hit this summer particularly amongst the sort of gay community you'll hear it at prides everywhere and it's it's been her first single her first top 10 single in the uk in I don't know, a very long time, I think. Um, I, I almost want to say 20 years. I might have that wrong. I don't know. But it's certainly been a very long time since she had a hit of this 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 size. And I think it's brilliant. And I think it's got such a such an earworm quality to it. I like the fact that, that Kylie has lent into her sort of gay and queer fan base. I think it's brilliant. That is Kylie Minogue and Padam Padam. It's the single of the summer, I think. It's catchy yeah, absolutely. and shiny. And like you, I love Kylie. Absolutely. Who who is one of ours, by the way, as well? There was a there was a big thing when England beat Australia in the semi-finals of the of the mm. World Cup. There was a you remember that that old excitable commentator Maggie Thatcher, Winston Churchill. Your boys <laughs> took one hell of a yeah. beating. Well, there was an equivalent that people were doing on Twitter um, involving Australians, and they and they put Kylie Minogue. Can you hear me, Kylie Minogue? To which various people commented, "She's one of ours now. She's not Australian <laughs> anymore. She's surely." <laughs> An honorary Brit, isn't she? We're not we're not telling off Kylie Minogue because she's she's one of ours. She's not Australian anymore, surely. She's a, she's a proper Brit, one would say. Dressing up for gigs. I thought it had gone rather out of fashion. But back in the hippie late 60s, early mm. 70s era, you set off to your free concert in Hyde Park wearing a paisley shirt and flared jeans, possibly a tie-dyed T-shirt mm. in place of the paisley shirt. Some girls would wear the same thing as the chaps. And mm. some, some women opted for a floaty summery dress with their mm. hair parted in the middle like Joni Mitchell. Mm. Then came punk. Evoc- like, evocatively described as always, Seti, I've got the real running in front of my eyes as we speak <laughs> then came punk and you might you, you might go to the hundred club in plastic trousers mm. and a clash t-shirt but more recently i think everybody seems to dress the same way with there's been no sort of mm. music cults as such or genres to follow but jules it seems i'm wrong because apparently for one example taylor swift fans swifties Go to mm. their gigs wearing outfits that celebrate one of Taylor's eras or dress up with quotes from her lyrics all over their clothes. So I was wondering, is this your style for PJ Harvey gigs, <laughs> No, I mean, oh, it, it, I can just... I can just about bring myself when in the past I brought myself to wear a T-shirt to see a band that was that band's T-shirt. So I might wear a Stereo Lab T-shirt to see Stereo Lab. I have danced on stage at Ben and Sebastian whilst wearing a Ben and Sebastian T-shirt in the past. However, that was very much for a younger and let's be frank, slimmer me. So I don't I don't necessarily do that so much anymore. Yeah, I'm very interested to read about this. Um, Maybe it's an age thing. I don't know. But maybe it's, it's the youths that are doing this. I'm not sure. Yeah. 
Taylor Swift fans all in their cowboy boots are one of her eras. Now, I think this is a great idea for a tour as well. This, and we have talked on the podcast previously about this eras tour that she's doing to celebrate all the different eras mm. of her career so far and what an enormous money spinner it is. And and since we spoke about it, we've read into it more how it's it's become a sort of a mini economy boom in all the cities that she's toured in the US. Um, incredible amounts of money uh, sort of represented in this. And I love the fact that that, that is a, a very typically shrewd marketing ploy isn't it that you can go as one of the eras and there are all these things to choose to to pick from and actually quite inclusive I think as well so if you can't afford cowboy boots you could go in something pink to celebrate her lover era I I like I've always been a bit anti-fancy dress particularly Mm. in a school context or in you know a young person's context because it always costs money Satie if you want to dress up in fancy dress unless you are an extremely resourceful person. By and large, it costs money, doesn't it? Particularly if there is a theme like, I don't know, cops and robbers or something. You you know, there are a few people that have the stripy T-shirts and the eye mask involved in home. You, you're going to have to go and do something. And I quite like the idea that, that that if there's a number of eras, different people feel like can get involved. And I, I quite applaud that. Also, Harry Styles fans. And I do like the sort of the... Um, the kind of the laxness of the brief as well. Again, I suspect to 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 include, for, you know, for for people so they can just wear what they want to. I suppose there are some people that um which which are um just sort of wearing the same trainers as Harry Styles and also people wearing anything um cherries um kiwis watermelon etc because he mentions a lot of fruit in his songs so I, I like the fact that people are going to people are going to efforts and you know I, I think if you're going to pay however much it is now to go and see Harry Styles or or to go and see Taylor Swift in an arena because that's the size that they play so you know you're, you're getting rid of 70 or 80 quid just on the ticket mm. I can understand if it's a big night out if it's this month's night out particularly in the, the economic climate we're living through in the UK here at the moment if it's these kids and you know or younger people's night out why shouldn't they dress up? So Terence, I hope they have a lovely time. I hope they I hope they really enjoy themselves. That's how they're enjoying themselves. Why not? Eh? And you know what? If you don't want to involve, if you don't want to get involved in it, just wear jeans and a t-shirt. You know, I, I no one's no one's saying you're not allowed admission to Harry Styles' concert unless you are dressed as a watermelon or have a yellow t-shirt on. No one's saying that. Just you know, I I I I approve of this deeply, not least because people can do it themselves or choose not to do it themselves. I totally agree. I'm all in favour of it. And I, I like the idea of fans going to Harry Styles gigs wearing feather boas yes. in, in, in the manner of football supporters with their, their team scarves. Absolutely. And also fair play to Harry Styles as well for really being a style icon mm. and for being very, um, just very free and open in what he wears. I think that's very probably very inspiring for young people. Obviously, I'm not a young person, but I can imagine it being inspiring if you are. So um, I think it's great. And and also considerably less expensive than probably a 40 or 50 quid T-shirt that you'd end up buying yeah. on the well, merchandise stand. So that's yeah. sticking it to the man, isn't it? Um, I get very twitchy when people who, uh, mm. people are no platformed. Yes. Um, censoring people for their views, it always has a tinge of Stalin and the rise of the Nazi mm. party in the 1930s. I mean, this is regard it's regardless of whether I agree with the view of the speaker or not. I mean, we have to live in a tolerant society where people mm. can 
feel free to disagree about life and the way we live. Um, I don't know much about trans issues, mm. and I'm certainly not informed enough to uh, form a view. Uh, mm. one, one way anyone like me could have learned more was by attending Graham Linehan's stand-up show at the Edinburgh Fringe. However, the venue, Leith Arches, cancelled Linehan's show because, I quote, we work very closely with the LGBT plus community. Sorry for any inconvenience caused, close uh, quote. Mm. So because Mr. Linehan has views and jokes that don't conform to the standard view of trans matters, his show is cancelled. This is very worrying, Jules. Let him speak. It's tricky, this, isn't it? Because I, 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 I you're expecting me to not agree with you. I, I suspect. Am. I mean, mm. it's. I, I do agree. I agree with your your very general point. I think my difficulty with Graham Linehan in in particular, not so much that he holds these views. There are lots of there are lots of people in public life that do hold these views and and do hold events to express these views. Um, the difficulty that I have with Graham, Graham Linehan particularly is, and there's lots of this information out there on the internet. I, I did a quick Google before. I came mm. on um he's been really unpleasant I mean like like sort of I I mean I'm not especially shockable city but I've gasped at some of the tweets that he's sent to people in reply not very often women this is what I find so interesting mm. and so I don't want to say amusing but so sort of raising an eyebrow about this that Graham Linehan's sort of angle that he says he's coming from at this is that he's a he's a feminist and he's a defender of women's rights and you know mm. And and goes out of his way to 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 uh, he will never ever address trans women as women. He will always refer to them. He will always find a way of referring to them as being male, which I think is is offensive and not showing respect for other people expressing themselves. Ironically, but anyway, I've seen his tweets to women who hold to him and quite often make fairly reasonable points and are not aggressive. Mm. I don't read those greets aggressively. Shut up and F off was his response oh to, to oh one dear, person. Dear, dear. I once tweeted at him because this so-called defender of women, um, when Dolly Parton appeared at Glastonbury a few years ago, and this was mm. before, when she did the Legends slot and was mm. excellent, and this was before the trans stuff mm. really erupted online and before he was known as a sort of trans, you know, sort of a, a feminist defender against trans people, etc. Um, he tweeted about Dolly Parton's effed up face on TV. Oh. Except he didn't, he didn't censor himself as I've done there. And I replied and went, I don't think that's very nice. And he blocked me. So, mm. um, I'm, I I agree with your suspicions and your kind of your unease over people being no platformed. Having said that, Graham Linehan is a, an extreme example of someone expressing these views. Um, he is no, he is known as being frequently really unpleasant to, to people expressing views against him on Twitter. And yes, like you say, Twitter yeah, people are allowed to express their views and, and to debate. I've seen him swear at women online. I've seen him be abusive at women online. Uh, women who are not trans women, but who are just calmly making points. Um, I found it very interesting that he went on Mumsnet to ask people from Mumsnet, which is a sort of a, a, a parent mm. sort of website mm. that you know perhaps is is known as leaning towards the gender critical side of the spectrum so he went on it asking all these women to, to defend him to which one of them said not unreasonably what are you doing it's quarter to three in the morning he was no, he was no. re, re, i mean his his marriage has collapsed over this his he you know mm. has, has so talked about being unemployable over this 
I don't think it's necessarily being unemployable about his views. I think it's the way that he expresses them, which is in a very right. extreme and unpleasant way. So I take the point you are making, Satie, that we all need to have, you know, we all we all need to have tolerance for other people's views. Having said that, aside from the fact that that trans people deserve respect and 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 you know deserve to be recognised as they wish to be recognised, and away from the debate of you know how that fit, you know how rights fit together intersectionally. Gremlin has been unpleasant to people online for a very, very long time. It's been extremely unpleasant, not just to, to trans people, but people just wanting to get involved in debate. He's not been willing to debate with people. He's been willing to throw abuse at people. I'm afraid to say in his particular case, I'm not sure he's in a position to talk about having to respect other people's views. No, that's, I was totally unaware of that. And, um, and, you know, and, I, and, and I wouldn't... Well, and, I won't, and I think I won't a lot develop of my are. argument any further because um, he's then clearly a terrible example for me to have chosen. I mean, that's, um, and that's that's the point it, I'm making. He's yeah. an extreme example of, of of the end, and I and I suspect that the reason why he wasn't allowed to use that venue is because of how he has behaved. And I and this is where I find people like him, extre- people with extreme views like him, to be so insidious sort of saying oh well you know what are you talking about of course i've got to express my views and it's like yeah but you don't have to swear everybody online he's become completely i I mean he has behaved extremely unpleasantly i feel a little bit sorry for him in that he has become so obsessed with this one particular issue Mm. he's he's sort of taken on this issue to be fighting for women's rights is it the place of a man to do that anyway? That's a question to start us off with, isn't it? Which doesn't seem to have troubled him. But anyway, he's got involved in doing this. You know, he's got involved in this. He really does see it as a crusade, I think. And has just become completely obsessed with it. It's all he tweets about. Well, apparently, I, I am able to see his tweets on another account that hasn't been blocked. Um, mm. It's all he seems to be, you know, concerned with. And it's almost like, you know, he's he's deliberately extreme. So then when he is not allowed to appear in places, he can then turn around and go, oh, well, you know, it's it, you know, I, I'm being silenced. So that always makes me laugh when people express a view in the national press that they are being silenced. <laughs> I'm always quite amused when people go, I'm, I'm being silenced. You can read 3000 words on this in the Daily Telegraph. Mm, is that the same thing? I'm not sure. Anyway, I agree with you in that we must have room for debate and for expression of different views in society. However, I think there is a line and I think that venues and communities are perfectly within their rights to say, look, we don't want people who are abusive appearing here. No, I, I, as I say, I totally understand. I mean, I was taking this from the point of view of the uh, d- debate of free speech and so on. Mm. But if someone is is so abusive uh, to people, I- irrespective of that in life, then um, you know, some of my uh, empathy and sympathy is uh, going out the window. Because you're a, because you're a decent person, and, that's, and you know, and, that, and that's then that's where extremists can be so insidious because. Mm. If you don't have the whole story, it's very easy for them to sound reasonable, isn't it? And for them mm. to sort of say, oh, isn't this terrible? And I'm being so hard done by. And uh, by people who I suspect share their views in a less abusive way, hence why they get published in certain places. But yes, Graham Linehan has behaved appallingly for many years. And yeah, I, as a result of which, I have no sympathy. We have more coming up. We say mm. farewell to Michael Parkinson. All right. Oh, yes. And is the chat show in decline? That's next after Steve Forbert. Meet me in the middle of the day, let me hear you say everything's okay. Bring me southern kisses from your room. Meet me in the 
America this autumn or, or fall. Uh, number 11 on the Billboard Hot 100 in 1979, Steve Forbert and Romeo's Tune. I was, that was news to me and I very much enjoyed that. That might make appearance on one of my radio shows at some point. <laughs> Michael Parkinson died this mm. week, 88, most well known for his chat show that ran through the mm. 1970s, returned in the early 2000s. His style was relaxed and he was often not only a big fan of the sports or movie stars, um, but he had an in-depth knowledge mm. of their careers, which helped him style his interviews. Occasionally things would go wrong if a guest turned up uh, inebriated, for example, um, but often interviews that went a bit south would be those with women, funnily enough, mm. um, as we were just talking about, as Parkinson also, um, he had very old-fashioned Yorkshire values that led him, Jules, yes. into getting scrapes with women that stood up for themselves. Absolutely. And this is this is where 
my views on Michael Parkinson are a little bit less rose tinted than some people. It always seemed to be women that he had issues with, really, or, or women that were the, the interviews that seemed to go wrong. Um, the Meg Ryan interview became infamous. It was difficult to tell, like with all things that go wrong, people seem to spark off each other, don't they? And the whole thing yeah. generates into a mess. And it's difficult to tell whether he was being particularly rude and disrespectful or she was being standoffish. Probably both that then wound each other up, I think. I also remember with a sort of a cringe having seen repeated afterwards, of course, not at the time, but his interviews mm. with Helen Mirren, which were oh, were Lord. not not very enjoyable and not his finest hour. Having said that, he did have the ability, particularly older, I think, to pull in the sort of quality guests, I think, although I'm not entirely convinced how much depth he got out of them, really. I mean, when when you think I mean, so I've I've seen sort of interview having watched archive interview programs i watch a lot of those um i think it's called talking pictures i don't know if you've seen this oh. on bbc too i'm a big big fan of this um not the channel but the um, oh i see the, sorry the, uh, there was a, a sort of a series of, of documentaries that are sort of clip show things they used to be narrated by the brilliant sylvia sims i think within the last couple of years she might be a bit too elderly to do them now because they've got celia imry to do them instead who's also still a delight and they're on a different theme each week so they're either on a particular actor or actress or they're on um types of films so there was one on mgm musicals there was one on westerns and they're sort of made I suspect as filler TV to go between films on BBC Two. So often you'll have like one on Michael Caine and then and then um, Zulu or something on afterwards, like a film that, that that would feature him. So they they have the 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 sniff of me because they're made in sections as well, a little bit like Coast City when there is snooker that has finished unexpectedly and they need fifteen minutes worth of filler. And one thing I've noticed about these programmes is that they have an awful lot of footage from Harkinson on them of him yeah. interviewing. So it shows his pulling power that you know most of the big stars of the day being interviewed by him however when they have different interview programs on and particularly sort of 50s 60s i would say and you know i'm thinking of people like joan bakewell uh, her interviewing harold pinter people like that i noticed that parkinson was pretty soft compared to a lot of these people and i'm sorry to say that because i know that we're being told that he was the sort of master of his art he mm. had he, he he managed to attract many guests on however I'm not sure how much we did we learn that much from Parkinson interviews. I don't remember that we did. Having said that, though, I know this is a very modernly voguish thing to say because he was um, because he was sort of a safe space, wasn't he, really? And that celebrities went on because I think they felt they weren't going to get, you know, wasn't exactly a news night, was it? They weren't expecting no. to get a big grilling. Yeah. But then maybe as a result of that, he got people to talk about things in a way which people wouldn't have spoken about at all. And I'm thinking George Michael's uh, bust in the toilets um, in, in 98. He went and did his interview with Parkinson. So we did hear him talk about it. And I wonder if we would have talked about it at all, if it was with anybody else. So maybe Parkinson is a lesson that sometimes softly, softly catchy monkey. And maybe it's better to have some information than nothing at all. Yes, that's a, that's an excellent analysis. I, mean, I, I think in later years, I'm rather with him on this, Parkinson became very critical of the way, uh, the route that television had taken with mm. the decline in standards of presentation and interviewing. And we see that now on programmes like The One Show, where mm. view, viewers are treated as morons, let's be honest. Oh, I but, mean, The but, One Show it, it, itself, it's the tonal shifts that get me, Sir Terence. So, yes. you know, you'll get someone on, they'll introduce... I don't know, 
Felicity Kendall or someone, you know, fairly innocuous who's, you know, brought on to plug something. She might get five minutes to talk about her book at the end, I think, but she's had to sit through an article on on how difficult it was for social services to track kids during lockdown, followed by viewers sending their pictures of world leaders made out of pasta, followed by an article on air pollution, followed by something on, I don't know, pedal pusher trousers making a comeback, five minutes of Felicity Kendall's book, and then the one show finishes. It's the bizarre tonal shifts, I think, that get me. As Mel Brooks, the late, as Mel Brooks put it um, of late a while ago, what a crazy show this is. He's <laughs> absolutely right. So, yes, I agree with you. But the one show uh, particularly had, gets my ire, I think, just mm. because who came up with that format? It's so confusing. It's terrible, terrible show. The, the, the perhaps astonishing element of Parkinson's golden era, the 1970s, was that, as so different from now, that very famous people indeed, like David Niven at the time, mm. Peter Ustinov, would come on just to chat and tell funny stories and they hmm. weren't there to promote or plug anything no true and uh, another massive plus i think of parkinson's style though hmm. i totally agreed with your analysis a couple of minutes ago but i think a real positive was that he hmm. was happy to sit back and enjoy the stories along with us and he wouldn't interrupt or no, stop that's the true. anecdote that's very um, true. Uh, you know, so many of today's manic hosts of chat shows hmm. like jonathan ross or graham norton very popular people may like them i don't dispute that for a moment but they do seem to feel obliged to bring the audience's attention back to them mm. the host rather I think, than I think star guests uh you know, give a, their anecdotes yes i see that i think jonathan ross is a bit more guilty of that than graham norton i mm. must say graham norton is a bit subtler in how he does it i think but um yeah i agree with you that actually parkinson's laid-back style he was a fan, wasn't he? And exactly, as you say, yeah. as, as I mean, it, it, I think we're both right in that being a fan meant that we didn't really learn a lot more about people. Having said that, we did we did get entertained, didn't we? And maybe they were in for they were entertainment rather than you know sort of big grillings. And you know we got to see people like Paul McCartney tell their stories and you know all sorts of people as a result. So yes, maybe like, I agree with you. Maybe actually. Uh, you know, people thinking about him as a great interview. I'm thinking of great interviewers being, you know, sort of people like David Frost. And actually, yeah. maybe being, an, you know, facilitating entertainment is as valuable. Yes, I think so. Because having been alive at the time, it really mm. um, rather was, along with Match the Day, it was, you know, appointment television on a Saturday mm. night. Because if you knew that Billy Connolly yes. or um, D Dave Allen were going to be on, you know, you'd be pretty sure that it was, you know, it was going to be a, a sort of fun evening. Mm. And I don't think the Parkinson's show was em really meant to educate. I think no, it was just no. people on telling funny stories about yeah, their and, lives, really. Exactly. And that was very good i agree and actually it was still going we used to watch it in the 90s i think i yes. well i watched the george michael one so so i remember I remember that happening and like, like you say the people used to get on it was always interesting when people people weren't um 
were um, people were sometimes ill-humoured when they went on as well not just Big Ryan I'm thinking of some people in particular it's always very interesting it was I suppose in a way as well and now you've got me thinking it was a although we say oh it was just you know people be going being entertaining but it was at least more serious than Graham Norton I suppose uh, but uh, but and, and maybe it's new well, there were no hijinks it was just people no, sitting was, in chairs chatting that's a, the, exactly the and ma- yeah and may- maybe in, in a way it was more serious although I do enjoy the Graham Norton show mm. mostly because whoever it is that books the guests does very well at mixing the guests together i think so they often have unlikely and enjoyable combinations of people on together which suits that as you say hijink style format perhaps yeah. it's a different maybe it's it's not right to compare the graham norton show to the michael parkinson show because they're doing slightly different things is this apples and oranges possibly yes and of course the huge difference is that these days no actor or musician or whoever will go on these shows or be allowed to do so by mm. their media advisors Unless yes. they do have something to promote yes. or sell a movie, TV show, music, whatever. And so they tend to thus all follow um, a rather rigid format. So yeah, Ross, and I think I mean, Danny Baker before them tried to follow the the American David mm. Letterman style model, but it just doesn't seem to work over here. No, uh, it doesn't. It's a different sort of place. Weirdly, we've reached a stage where where you know the 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 modern film stars appear probably more often on these sort of shows in the talk show circuit and the interview circuit much more than the so-called sort of film stars of mystique you know the sort of the mystique around mm. film stars back in the day and so we think we know more about these people but actually when you hear the stories that people tell on things and read interviews they're the same stories aren't they really yes, but, they don't, but you know it's it, they're rehearsed for the circuit aren't they and i remember seeing an interview I think it was with Betty Davis fairly recently on one of these Talking Pictures programmes. They showed this archive footage and this interview, it was in black and white. And this interviewer was, I think, interviewing her outside her house. It certainly looked like her house. And she was in her hat and coat giving this interview. And actually, for all that, you know, you go, oh, well, you know, it's not like she's sat on the sofa with Graham Norton, everyone's mates. Yeah, it, it, it went on for about five or ten minutes and she spoke quite in depth, I thought, really. And had, it was quite a sort of highbrow and quite a detailed and really interesting conversation. And it had much more depth to it, I felt, for one of these sort of big film stars we weren't meant to know much about. I found it really interesting and really watchable. And I think I learned a lot more about her than I do in people clowning around on sofas. So how ironic that, mm. that you know, we think that, that we know the modern film stars today better. No, we just know the jokes that they tell on these programmes, don't we? We don't know them. And ironically, when people were interviewed back in the day by people being serious, they were asked serious questions and they gave very serious answers. <laughs> exactly so. Very good point. Thanks very much for listening this week, everybody. Good to have you with us. Very much agree. It's nice that it's not just me in my spare room. Thanks for coming along. Now, happily for us, Julia is not appearing at the Edinburgh Fringe, so she has more time for her radio show. I do, yes. My radio show, um, Smooth Sailing. Um, you can hear that on Sunday evenings from 7 to 9 pm on noiseboxradio.com. Yacht Rock, M O R A O R, Easy Listening, and such other things, such other oral delights. New music from Tom Mish to play us out.
Yes, indeed. This is a very modern thing in that there seem to be 80 different people involved in this record. Uh, so, that, so it's quicker to name, you know, Tomish and Super Shy are on this record together. I thought it was just Super Shy. I heard this having recently complained about Six Music's changing direction and how I feel it lacks direction. One of the new shows, um, the sort of new music fix that's on, on, on the sort of weekday evenings that Gideon Co and Mark Riley have had to give up one of their shows for, um, the other night I heard it driving home and I expected to be enraged, Sati, but actually I enjoyed everything I heard on the programme. So it just jokes on me. And I heard this, very much enjoyed this. I thought it was great. This is Super Shine, Tom Mish, and this is Moment by Moment. We can't choose where we're going and we won't lose Because we've taken it moment by moment So now
You've been listening to a Parish Council production. <laughs>